Um, so there's a, there's a fantastic online resource um, called the Dictionary of Obscure Sorrows. Okay, this is a place that, uh, it's a guy who just, I think it's a guy. Anyway, it's a person that was like, you know, there's not really a word for what I want to describe. Okay, you, you'll get it as we go along. So, first word that we have this morning, oh, on, there we go, is sonder. Okay, a lot of these words are mixed together. So in your, in your own head, kind of think about, like, what could this word possibly mean? Um, you know, and as you, as you think about it, he put it as the realization that each random passerby is living a life as vivid and complex as your own. Have you ever thought about this? Honestly, like, mission trips are one place that I think about this. Like, you, you land in a place, and you see somebody walk by, and you're like, they've lived a whole life that I never knew. They were sauntering by. You know, like, I'm, I'm sauntering about them, I guess. There's not a, he didn't. He didn't use it in a sentence, so we'll have to guess on that one. But that, that picture that, like, a whole life is being lived by somebody. By the way, this helps out if you have road rage issues. Like, consider that, like, they're fighting their own battle. They're doing their own thing. Like, somebody, they have a whole life that you don't know about. It does offer a lot of empathy, and it's, it's, a, it's a great word for that. Okay? Let's do another one. Uh, mitting. Mitting. We do this a lot. Okay? It's the feeling... Uh, the, tranquil, the feeling, the tranquil pleasure of being near a gathering, but not quite in it. Okay, we do kind of have a word for this. It's eavesdropping, but I, I don't want to get into that. But it's kind of like, but it's the, he's describing like, like that feeling, that tranquil feeling of like, I'm close to that, but I'm not really, I don't have to say anything. So we've all, we've all done this before. Um, and then this one is taken from two Japanese words, and so I'm sure I'm going to butcher how you say it, uh, but watashiado. Okay, so it's taken from two words, and I love the definition. Uh, curiosity about the impact you've had on the lives on people you know, wondering which of your harmless actions or long-forgotten words might have altered the plot of their stories in ways you'll never get to see. Okay, so the, the two words it's taken from are eye and footprint. So it's like, what impact has my footprint had on somebody? Watashiado. Um, we're going to be looking at some things in Luke, uh, beginning this series of, you know, did Jesus really say that? Um, and this picture of the words of Jesus. And the words have such a profound impact. Like, they're one of the vehicles that we have to convey feeling, to convey information, to convey thought. They're one of, they're not the only, but they're a powerful one. And one that gets to be recorded. And um, it gives foliage to the root of our action. Okay, so I mean, like, there's action. Action obviously speaks louder than words. We've all heard that as a kid. But there's a side that sometimes words help inform and, and give voice to your action. And it can reinforce or take away from it. Um, but there's some things in Luke that um, are in this series that we're kind of inviting you to consider. Uh, one is I noticed... I don't think I knew the Bible said that. And you may not think that today. You may not think that over the series. You may be like, I've read Luke. I knew Jesus said all these things. <laughs> but notice some things as we go through this. Another one is I wonder. I wonder why he said that. I'm not sure I understand why, why God would use, why Jesus would use those particular words. Because he had the whole vocabulary. 
to use. And he chose these words. And some are kind of peculiar and not as uh, uniting or loving as you would like them to be. And so I wonder. Um, and Jesus is just one that brought consistency um, consistently brought wonder through the world through conversations, situations in the life. The wonder of Jesus interrupts narratives um, that we think to be true. And there's this, uh, an artist that, that I, I love, uh, Scott Erickson, has a phrase that he says, familiarity kills wonder. And wonder changes and interrupts narratives. So Jesus many times is inviting us into this wonder. And he's changing the familiar, and he's totally changing that and, and inviting us into wonder. So as you read through these verses, even though you think like, ah, oh, these are really familiar, these are really common uh, verses, I invite you to consider the fact that I invite you into the wonder of it. Um, so we're going to, this is kind of going to be three sermonettes. Uh, it's going to be three parts today um, in Luke 4, um, which is where we'll be. Um, the first is these it is written statements, okay, so that's going to be kind of Sermon number one. They're not going to be full-length sermons. Don't, don't be too scared here. Uh, the next one is going to be, I am the Messiah. This is a massive claim of Jesus that we're going to get into. The third one is, I must proclaim the good news. Okay? So, we're going to start off the first one. Um, whenever I was, uh, a couple years ago, we went to Disney World with our kids. If you ever had the chance to go, it's pretty entertaining. Um, and they did this deal is right when the Star Wars thing started. I'm not a big Star Wars guy. I'm going to start off with that. Um, I watched it as a kid, you know, but I'm not like, I, I had to find this deep. I don't have this like in my office or something. Some people do. It's not me. Um, but we went, they did a Jedi training school. And I, we didn't know what it meant, but we thought we'll sign the kids up and that should be fun. They took the kids away and dressed them in apocalyptic clothing, um, you know, because that's Star Wars. And then they kind of cart them off, and like, you're kind of like, oh, this is weird. I just gave Disney my kids, you know? And you kind of realize, I don't know if I read the fine print on the whole thing. Um, and then a little bit later, they come out, and they all are like, like marching. It was very weird. I mean, like, you kind of like look at it from a distance, and you're like, we've made some... In this. You don't always know when you're going to cause counseling, but sometimes you can... <laughs> right there, I did it. And then, and then it got really, then they said, well, we're, gonna, we're going to, they're going to go up against um, Darth Vader or Darth Maul. Okay, now, this, this is, these are children, right? You're, you're thinking too big. You're thinking high school. These are children kids. And there is a guy standing there. Okay, I got, I got my lightsaber. It doesn't light up because I don't have batteries. You have a character dressed up with the endless resources of Disney as Darth Vader staring at, down at a child, okay? And you realize this was not smart. Um, but there was one, and the kid was up against Darth Maul, and, the, dark, and, and the, the voice and everything, he's like, I see the darkness inside you. And he's talking to a child, and the kid is standing there like this, and you see him, and most of the kids are like, you know, because then they like, they like battle, so they like hit each other, and then they're like, okay, next, you know, and you know, some kid is like, mom, you know. But this kid, he changed my life. And I don't, I don't, I don't mean that, I don't mean that like in a, he altered my existence. Because he stood there and he was like, 
and I see the darkness inside you. Imagine what you do as a kid. And he goes, no, no. He starts shaking his head and he's gritting his teeth. <laughs> and he's saying verbally, no. And he's like, come to the dark side. And he's like, no, no. And I mean, he's shaking. He, believe, he is fighting against pure evil. And I sat there and I was like, I don't know if I've ever had conviction like that. I mean, like, it made me sit, watashiato. I mean, like, that kid changed me. And just like Jamaica, I mean, I'm not trying to discount Jamaica, but like that kid, I think about that, like, when, when I start to feel sick, I'm like, no, no. And, and you can ask any one of our family, because everybody's there. And I mean, like, you can just look at them and go, no. And they'll be like, mm-mm. No. But this kid, I mean, it was just, it changed everything for me. It was shocking. Um, but it's funny how we have those moments in life like that. When Luke chapter 4, verse, we're going to start in verse 1. It says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from Jordan, led by the Holy Spirit into the desert, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days. And at the end, he was hungry. And I just want to make one comment real quick. The fact that he was led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit. The wilderness is one of those places, um, and I, I truly believe that like the untamed places help us make sense of the tamed ones. And as humans, we tend to, we, we're drawn to those wild places. We're drawn to wild things. I mean, like, I don't know if you've ever considered the fact that, like, your dog that lives in your home is actually, like, you have a beast in your home. Um, I mean, like, we've, but we, we domesticated it, okay? I mean, we, we tried to tame the wild thing to make it familiar, okay, right? Wonder, familiar. So there's so many times that God invites us and calls us into the wilderness, and I can guarantee one thing about the wilderness that's, that makes, makes it exciting, makes it scary, makes it all these things. It is not familiar. That's kind of the definition of a wild place. It is just unfamiliar. And I know we have physically stepped into wild places. Uh, we've also emotionally and spiritually and relationally stepped into wild places. And sometimes God is the one calling us into those things so that we are invited into that wonder. Okay? So let's keep going. Jesus answered, or I'm sorry, verse three. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered, it is written, man does not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor for it has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want. So if you worship me, it'll all be yours. Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand at the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, and he's quoting scripture here, uh, he will command his angels concerning you. He will guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered, it says... Do not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had finished all this, all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Okay, so there's, there's three times Jesus goes and says, it is written, it is written, it is written. 
the first thing is, he says, man's not made to live on bread alone. And again, I like this is, a, this is an awesomely powerful thing that's brought up here. The fact that God made mankind to need to eat, to need to drink, to have bread, to have sustenance. He didn't have to do that. Rocks, rocks don't require anything to exist. They just exist. He could have made humans that way, but he made us where we need something. And he uses that picture um, in this. And then Jesus, but Jesus is quoting back uh, scripture, Deuteronomy 8.3. And, um, and Satan's attacks here are specific to Jesus. And these are the only three that we heard because it said he was tempting him for 40 days. And then three are recorded. So there's another whole bunch that we don't know about. But these three are recorded and in, recorded in this manner. Satan's attacks are specific to Jesus. Uh, we're not going to turn a stone into bread. That's not one you're going to get. You're not going to get the, we'll turn this into bread and feed yourself kind of thing uh, because he knows you can't do that. You're going to get something a little more tailored for yourself, <laughs> a little more uh, in your wheelhouse. Um, but the manner of attacks is universal, and he still uses those. Um, and he wants us to do three things. And I, I skipped a slide because I, I read these, so I read that. <laughs> Uh, the first thing, he wants us to distrust God's love. Okay, turn this, turn this uh, stone into bread. I mean, he's wanting us to turn away, and he's wanting us to take it in our own hands. And he's like, God doesn't love you. He doesn't care for you. Like, what kind of parent wouldn't give their child something to eat? So he's gonna, he's gonna cause you to distrust God's love for you. Um, he's gonna called doubt into his plan. You know, he's going he's gonna to draw you to doubt God's plan for you. Where he goes into, um, I will give you the authority and splendor for it's been given to me and I can give it to anyone who, who I want. God had already told him, you're, I mean, Jesus, okay, <laughs> we're in the complicated waters here because being, everything's being twisted by the devil. But Jesus had authority over all these things. He, had, he, was, he was ruler over this kingdom. And Satan's now saying, I'm gonna give it to you. And he's like, no, my father, God the Father told me, and I know it's mine. That's the plan. And this plan is gonna go through a sacrifice that's required. He's gonna cause you to doubt his plan. And then he's gonna, presu- he's gonna cause you to presume on God our will over his. This is the picture of, and I borrowed the word presume from a commentary because it was a good word, but um, he's gonna cause you to look and force your plan upon God. He said, jump off and God will be forced to catch you. And he says, don't put God to the test. Again, he quoted Deuteronomy three different times. Quoted scripture. Um, and Jesus had the scripture to refute these attacks. And the words of God were on his heart and mind. Um, Ephesians 6, uh, 17, tells us to take on the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. (laughs) Right? No, no, no. You know, and then they're saying, I see the darkness. You know, it's like, no, no. 
This is the only offensive weapon listed in all of Ephesians 6. He calls us to the armor of God. He, you know, put on the helmet, the belt, the, the shield. All these things are defensive except for one. The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. He said, pick that up. That's your weapon. That's, it. That's the only one I'm giving you. He did, he, and again, this was his choice. He could have said like, um, and I'm also giving you um, the, uh, the arrows of, I don't know, you know, self-ability or, you know, of, of creativity or uh, intelligence. He didn't say that. He's like, I'm arming you with my words. That's, that's what I'm doing for you. Hebrews 4.12 says it this way. It says, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even dividing between the soul and the spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Now, a lot of times, the Bible is not really described as living and active. Is that fair? Um, it's, it's a lot of times just, we see it as an old document. We see it as something, you know, like people portray it as that. And God's going, no, 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 this is, these are my words. And so many times we want this specific word from God, like, God, what do I do or say in this specific situation? And he may give you that, but I know for certain that he gives you this, this word. And so if you have any question, if you're needing that, the, a word from God, start here. I love to, to write and journal and, and write my prayers to God and, ask, you know, like, I, I beg for things. But there's also a side that it's like, he has given us so many of his words. And they're not just words. They're living. They're active. They cut between the joints and the marrow. He's given that to us. That is phenomenal. It's not something we have to guess about. It's also something that you can check the words that you're given um, and, and see if they match with these. If they don't, uh, what you've heard is wrong. This, it's going gonna, it's gonna to coincide with this. You know, and this covers a lot of it. Um, and my question is, like, what does this look like for you? What does this look like for me? For me, there is a lot of times that, I mean, like, it, the answer is pretty simple. I mean, some scriptures that come to mind regularly for me are love God with everything that you are and love your neighbor as yourself. That covers a lot of stuff right there. So it's like if you find yourself loving your house or loving your job or loving uh, your money or loving, loving your business more than God, a problem. Love God with everything that you are. Let those things be an overflow of that, but don't let that be the thing. You love God, and that's going to take care of almost everything. And then it says, whenever you look up, or whenever you, I guess whenever you look down, really, you know, from loving God, and you see your neighbor, love your neighbor exactly like you would love yourself. I know exactly how I want to be loved. It's extravagant. Um, it uh, it's, takes time. It's got words. Like, I know how I want to be loved. That's how I should love other people. That covers vast amounts of things. Um, you know, there's so many scriptures that, that are, are just hidden away that sometimes I didn't even know they were there. I mean, the fact that we're, we're more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. 
um, that, that, that there's, there's love that extends beyond our understanding um, in that. In this scripture ministry, or the memory, um, some of you are thinking Bible drill, okay? You're thinking, I got to get the place, I got to get the page, I got to get the, I got to highlight it. Uh, let's get creative on this. It doesn't have to be that. Uh, it's living and active. We just went through, we're just going through that. Let's, let's make this word of God living and active in our lives. The easy way to do that, uh, here's some easy ways. Turn off the radio in the car, okay? Or if you have it on, listen to some scripture. That's uh, creative. Um, there's a lot of songs that have a whole lot of scripture. Some songs are only scripture. Try those. You memorize those like that, Okay? Um, but this is not something, it's not a class worksheet we're working on here. And here's a, here's a little window into this. We're not doing it because, so that God will love us more. God loves us the same if we read the Bible or not. I don't know if you knew that. Uh, he loves you the same if you follow those things or not. That's grace. But the fact that the God that loves us like that, that we get to read his words and get to know him, I get to do that. He's not a hall monitor up there going, I just want to see and make sure you've checked off your boxes today uh, if you have your scripture memory done, uh, and then come on in. You know, it's, he's not that way. Uh, Jesus didn't use, you'll notice, he didn't say in Deuteronomy 6, 8. So if you have a tough time with those, uh, those little parts of it, that's not the critical part. That's so you can find it. But if you can find it in your heart, skip the Deuteronomy 6-8 part. Um, I know some of you are like, oh, this will give you freedom to, you know, sin or whatever. It's like, I don't really need a freedom to do that. I'm really good at that anyway. Um, but, but we get to do this. And that is phenomenal to me, that God has given us his word. He had a choice in that matter. He didn't have to give us this, but he did. So let's use that. Let's take up the sword of the spirit, okay? Um, and just a quick note on literacy, and this is the longest one, by the way, uh, but a quick note on literacy. Jesus was literate in some manner. I know uh, there was a lot of talk about, um, you know, a lot of Old Testament, they, uh, it was spoken and passed down in an oratory way, um, in a storytelling way. Um, that is still a form of literacy. So if you listen to books, that's still a form of literacy, um, but I want to just invite you to the idea and maybe the wonder of the fact that learning to read and being able to read really well is a deeply spiritual act. I learned things in a space like this. The most that God has taught me was on my own when I was reading myself. So having kids that love to read is a spiritual act. I'm just inviting you into that. My wife is an assistant principal at, a middle, at an elementary school here in town. And literacy, like that opens the doors to anyone who can read could pick this up. That's pretty awesome. So be literate in the way that you can. If, you, if you're not a good reader, try listening. Uh, if you don't like listening, uh, find some ways that it's told in a story form. There's lots of avenues for that. So find a way that God is, uh, that you are hearing and experiencing God's word that you can hide it in your heart, Okay. So, sermonette number one. <laughs> yeah, I'm checking. Again, that's the longest one, so don't be too worried. Um, 
in the next section, it's got a lovely tape measure. Um, we're in 414. So if you're following along. And we'll read through the we'll read through this section. It says Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and the news about him spread through the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went to the synagogue, as was his custom, and he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, and rolling it, he found the place where it's written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, Today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son? They asked. Okay, I'm going I'm to stop there for a second. Okay. Scroll of Isaiah was handed to him. Because uh, think about the synagogue. We're a place, sure, we'll say it's like this. Um, this. We think of like turning in a page like this, in a book. A scroll was handed to him of Isaiah. A scroll that, the Isaiah scroll was about 24 feet long. So we'll, we'll do that out here. It's a pretty long scroll um, for one book. We're almost there. All right. Should have gone down the aisle or something. Okay, 24 feet right here. Boom. All right. Got to stretch this out. Okay, so it took him a minute to find it. The section he read was in uh, towards the end. (laughs) You hope it was kind of in the middle of the scroll. I don't know if it was or not. But, like, imagine Jesus sitting there with a scroll trying to find it, you know, reading through, again, the markings, the verses weren't necessarily there. He's looking for specific words to over 24 feet. So it took him a second as he sat there and scrolled, and he's trying to get to, uh, you know, chapter 61. And then he reads these words. Spirit of the Lord is on me and has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor, prisoners, oppressed, Proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled it up, handed it back, and then he went and he sat back down. Then Then he told them, this was fulfilled in your hearing. That's kind of a, I don't want to understate the fact that that's a pretty big mic drop moment for Jesus. Okay, um, men were allowed to read in the synagogue. That wasn't uncommon. He had probably read before. He was from this place. He didn't finish the scripture where it talked about it being a prophetic thing, about it being a thing in the future. He stopped it at the point where he was claiming to be God, the Messiah. And then he went and he sat down And just in case there was any, you know, wonder, he's like, it was fulfilled right here. You saw it happen. You guys, lucky. You know? And they were amazed. And they thought, isn't this Joseph's son? Because they're sitting there going like, "Uh, we know this kid. (laughs) You know, we've seen him before. He used to run down the street. Like, I've paid him to make stuff for me as a carpenter. 
Like, he's worked for me. He's been my employee. He's just a dude. But they were amazed. That turned pretty quick when, in verse 23, Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. Do in your hometown what we heard you did in Capernaum. I tell you the truth, he continued. No prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land, yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but a widow in uh, Zephyrath, the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha, the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman, Naaman, the Syrian. Now, with, with this statement, they got mad. It said all the people of the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, they drove him out of town, took him to the brow of the hill which was in town, uh, which the town was built on in order to throw him off the cliff. <laughs> and I mean, you know, like, he's being drugged, there's a mob, I mean, like, people are furious. And at some point, he's being drugged to the cliff, and he's like, I was just here. I was just, like, at a, at a tall point about to be thrown off, or, like, Satan was calling me to throw off. And then it says, but he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. Okay, this is, this is the, one of the miracles of Jesus that he got out of this. Some of it was that they were so irate. Because what he said was, I'm God. And I'm here to fulfill this prophecy. I'm here for the poor. I'm here for the oppressed. I'm here for the broken. I'm here for those that are in prison. And just like some of the prophets didn't go to you guys, didn't go to the Israelites, didn't go to the, to the Jews, I'm not going to fix, I'm not here for you guys, I'm here for those that are in need. I'm here to call out the individuals. And I don't know about you. And with that, they were mad because they were like, wait, uh, no, the, the Messiah is definitely coming for us as a people. He's going to be, you know, and then, and then, you know, they thought of all these things of like, he's going to be a king. It's going to be political. He's not going to come from this town because I know you people and you people aren't kingly material. You know, I mean, like, he's not going to be a carpenter. He's not going to be Joseph's son. That's not how it's going to be. That seems really familiar. And, and Jesus invited them in to wonder. And they, got, they were very unhappy with that. Furious, and they took the kid that they knew from town, that they grew up with, that they had paid as a carpenter, and they took him to the top of a cliff to kill him. And in their eyes, that was an appropriate response. He's claiming to be God. And it says Jesus just walked out. He just walked away. And the fact that Jesus is here Number one, that he claimed to be God. He did do that. And there's a little proof, logic proof of like liar, lord, lunatic. Either God was lying to people and was a con man. He was in fact God, which he claimed to be. Or he was crazy. Because some people, I've met people who claim to be Jesus. I've met people who have claimed to be God. And they were crazy. They were outside their mind. 
And it, there's, a, there's an idea that you've got to place Jesus in one of these categories. Because he claimed it. And a lot of people would say, well, he never really claimed to be God. Definitely did. Definitely did. So much so that they were going to kill him over it. Um, and they and did in the end. But he's here for the outsiders, giving sight to the blind, good news to the poor, freedom to the prisoners. Um, and I, I've, I've never been blind, um, thankfully. Um, but I have a little experience with it, and I bet you have too. Have you ever tried to adjust a fan, a ceiling fan in, the, in a dark room? Okay, like I, I have. It's, it's a foolish act. When you go and you think, and I, we had one house that the, the little, I don't know why I didn't do a longer drawstring on it, but it was like this long. So you had to feel as the wind was getting harder to try to, you know, reach up, and you're like... I've, you know, like that fear that's there, that tripping over things as you hit your finger and then turn and trip over a couch or a love seat or whatever. Um, I've experienced, you know, and, and we all have experienced times where we were imprisoned by our own selves. I mean, like we've, we've willingly given ourselves over to fear, to anger, uh, to greed, um, I've, I've had that feeling that everything that reverse Midas touch, that everything I would touch would turn, not to gold, but would just fail. I've had that sense before. That's not godly. And God says, Jesus is saying, I came for people that are imprisoned, that are oppressed, that are outsiders, that are um, broken, that are not, that don't consider themselves chosen. I came for those people. And that's incredible. And the kingdom of God was in their midst. And the cool thing is it's in ours as well. If being in the kingdom of God is being in his presence, we're, we're, we're experiencing that. The last section. Um, verse 42. It says, at daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place and the people were looking for him, and when they came to where he was, he tried to keep him, they tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns, because that's why I was sent. And Colossians 1.15 says it in this way. He is the image of the invisible God the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He's before all things and in all things, in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body of the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything you might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth, heaven, making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to prevent, present you holy in his sight without blemish, free from accusation." We were, we were the aliens. We were alienated. We were far from God. 
unable to throw own actions to get there. And through, you know, having something like the scroll of Isaiah and saying, I'm God, I'm here, I'm here for you, I'm here for the oppressed, I'm here for the outsiders, I'm here for the broken, the tired. But he said also, he said, I've, I can't stay with you guys. I didn't say he picked up a backpack, I'm just using it as a picture. But he said, I, I have to keep going. Because it's not just for you, it's for everybody. This good news, it's not just good news. This is, a, this is where our words start to break down a little bit. This is exceptional news. This is the best news. It's the only news. This is grace. This news is not uh, one of, I need to memorize the Bible. I need to memorize Isaiah or I need to, um, you know, do that aspect. It's not uh, Jesus plus reading the Bible. It's not Jesus plus coming to church. It's not Jesus plus uh, being really good or giving a big chunk of your income. It's just Jesus. We were alienated from God because of our own action, because of sin. And he said, there's nothing you can do to fix that. I'm gonna take care of that through my sacrifice. And then invited us into that. So as we leave, as we go, know that, take with you the good news. Jesus did. It's not just good news, it's great news. You don't have to tell anybody, but why in the world would you not? God, I thank you that you're a God that is good news. I thank you that from your fullness we have uh, received grace upon grace, a fullness saturated with grace, dripping with grace. God, there's an abundance of grace. God, I thank you that you've given us your word that we have a chance to read it, that we have a chance to hear from you, from your lips. God, about how you, how you view us, how you see us, how you love us. God, how you've called us. God, about how you've called us holy. And God, I don't always feel holy. But God, you view me that way. I thank you for the person of Jesus, that he was God and was man. God, that he... He came and performed a sacrifice I could never do. And God, the, the debt that I owed with, of my life, he paid. And God, I thank you for his clarity of, I have to go. I have to go share the good news. I can't, I can't stay here in one place. But there's an aspect of going. And God, I pray that as we go, we share the good news. God, we share this great news. We share this phenomenal news. God, of freedom, of love, of grace. Thank you for the words of Jesus. And thank you for using those words to change us from the inside out. Stand that